Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. I'm Chris and I'm joined by Dan this week. Hey. And we also have a very special guest in the shape of Alex Garland. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Alex. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, let's give Alex a bit of an intro. He's the writer of uh, The Beach, The Tesseract, The Coma. Uh, he wrote the video game Enslaved and also, uh, movie-wise, 28 Days Later, Sunshine, Never Let Me Go, Dread and Ex Machina, which is coming out in the UK next week on January 21st. Uh, Dan and I have had the privilege of seeing it and thoroughly enjoyed it. So let's kick off by talking about that, Alex. Where did the inspiration and the idea for this one come from? Um, I think way, way back, it probably came from uh, having a ZX Spectrum and doing very simple programs, you know, line 10, print hello, line 20, go to line 10 or something like that, and trying to make a computer um, say something and realizing it's not saying anything and uh, uh, just sort of puzzling over that and maybe doing a very simple sort of Q&A type program and making the computer feel slightly more alive but also realizing in it might feel more alive but the gulf between that and actually being what we are is still uh, sort of impossibly huge and I think that that never really left me um, I stayed interested in uh, or, or I became interested in AIs. And, and if you're interested in AIs, you also end up being interested in brains, uh, human consciousness, because the problems of AI and the problems of consciousness are basically the same, and, uh, or, or at least very related. <clears throat> and eventually, um, I was in prep, I was working on the uh, previous film, I uh, worked on um, Dread. I was in prep, and, uh, and, and a story came to my mind that... that felt like a reasonable vehicle for a discussion about some of this stuff and a way to explore it. It's quite heavy, some of it. Mm. And, uh, um, and so I quickly jotted it down, then went back to Dread, and when Dread was finished, picked this up. So can you um, maybe explain the story a little bit or give, it, give us the setup, as it were? Yeah, I'll try. Um, it's a pretty simple premise. It's mm. uh, uh, a coder um, who works for the world's biggest internet search engine wins a competition to spend a week with the CEO of the company in the guy's uh, mountain retreat, um, sort of reclusive figure, CEO. And when he gets there, instead of um, being there to spend a week um, kind of hanging out with a boss and bonding and maybe picking up a promotion at the other end, um, uh, he discovers he's there to take part in an experiment, which is, which is a kind of uh, a version of a Turing test. Um, which is, you know, as people probably know, is, a, um, is, is one way you can try to look at the level of artificial intelligence within a machine. Um, and it's, it's about whether a machine can fool a human into thinking that they're talking to a human as opposed to a machine. But this is like a step past a Turing test. And, um, uh, and, and, and from that point, it's, it's like a kind of love triangle that then becomes a love quadrangle, if that's the right word. There's four people in the house, um, two men, two women uh, of sorts. And um, uh, it's a kind of turns into a weird sort of slightly trippy psychological thriller. Um, does that sound about right? You've yeah, seen it. definitely. You I've seen it twice now, and uh, it's funny you mentioned the quadrangle because uh, I wasn't that paying. May as not be a word, by the way. <laughs> but that fourth character, I wasn't paying as much Oblong. attention to on the uh, rectangle, <laughs> a square. Yeah, uh, a square. Yeah, yeah. Why rectangle? Why yeah, I mean, I mean, I've seen it twice. And I saw it um, a screening a while uh, a few weeks ago, oh. and, and then just this week, and. 
uh, you've seen it just for the first mm. time this week. We came out, we were talking about it, just how tense the film is. Like, it's a really tense movie. Co- the conversations, there's, there's so many layers to each of the conversations in the film between both Nathan and Caleb and, and Caleb and Ava. Yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of psychological warfare going on, I think, between them. And there's also a lot about sex, really. Uh, there's a lot of sexual tension happening. Yeah. And, it's, and it's partly about... Uh, um, it, it's about that as much as it's about consciousness in a funny kind of way. But, you know, as always with films, it, it's hard to talk about it past a certain point sure. without blowing what the thing is. But, yeah, it's but a thriller. Isn't it? It's a sci-fi thriller, I guess. Yeah. And it's got some kind of heavy ideas buried within it. I hope. When you were writing that script, I mean, it, it does seem to it's big concept, big themes. It's, it's really thought-provoking, but it, it, it's also a really accessible film. Was that quite challenging, putting the script together to, making, to make quite complicated issues quite easy to understand? I don't know. The last time we spoke <laughs> was in a car park in Austin. Yeah. Um, is... uh, during Fantastic Fest, when uh, Dread was about to be released. Yeah. And you were t- in the process of telling me that that was an accessible film that was going to do well. And then it really bombed. I mean, it bombed harder than anything I've ever worked on. So I'm, uh, I'm slightly suspicious of what we you're were, saying. I think at the time we were... I hope you're right. I, I hoped you were right the first time, but I, I also hope you're right now. I think you were worried at the time about the film having an R rating and an, an 18 rating and the ah. fact that you'd gone for it. And I was saying, I don't think that'll be a problem. And you said, I think it is. And it, and it, and it was a problem. Yeah, but I, can we pin it on the R rating? It didn't help. Uh, but uh, I think District 9 probably had a R rating and that did great and it's a fantastic movie and um, yeah it just didn't work did it um, uh, I, I, it would be good if your strike rate was like 50-50 so yep. you're wrong the first time and now you're back right okay. on the money that let's go terrific. with that then yeah. but we love Dread didn't we <laughs> yeah I love Dread yeah of course Dread was great the readers great. love Dread so this is the first film you fully uh, directed yourself how, how was that as a challenge uh, it wasn't really a challenge at all I've been working in film for uh, a long time and uh, a lot of the people uh yeah, l- listen my, my approach to film is not really very director centric it's it's about a team of people working together um it's about the collaboration and it's who you're working with um and uh that's been my experience of filmmaking in the past and it was exactly the same on this film and uh you know many of the crew on this film i've worked with a lot uh and actually Donald Gleeson, one of the key cast members, is the third film we've worked on together. So um, it, it, the processes were very familiar. The faces were friendly and familiar. And um, well, there were some new people there too, but they were good people. And yeah, it was it was straightforward. And uh, it, it, there, there were challenges in the film, like it's shot in six weeks, okay? So, and it's also a film which has quite a calm atmosphere. So just shoot very, very quickly and mm. also keep it calm. That can be quite difficult. That, that can present challenges, but... Um, but that, but that's not what you're alluding to. The directing thing is kind of, I think, overstated. It's, it's all filmmaking. Everyone in the crew, everyone, everyone in the cast, they're all filmmaking. You're just one of them, and you know. Films are collaborative affairs always. But why is yeah. this the project where you chose to? Did things align to put you in the director's chair, or did um, you want to have slightly more control over this script? It, uh, no, I've. Uh, no, because that sort of presupposes I haven't had control over the script yeah. before. I mean, the the um, uh, it. I think from the outside, these things look like there must have been some big epiphany or decision. Yeah. It just wasn't like that. It was like 
working with the same group of people, here's the script, here's the thing we're going to try and make. And the conversations were not all about directing. It was about how are we going to get the money? Who's going to be the right person to do this? Is Marco, the production designer, actually available? If we push the thing back for a little bit, are we going to get Rob? It's that, that, that's actually what mm. the, that, that's what's happening in the process of making the film. And um, uh, so that's, that was the kind of conversation we were having. Can you talk a bit about your cast and what each of these actors brought to their respective roles? Because it's a three-hand, it becomes a four-hander, but man, they're all on fire in this film, like it's across yeah, the board. They're, they're, they're amazing. They're, actually, they've all got exactly the same thing. They've all got something in common, and it's the most important thing, which is they're all actors. Um, uh, I, the, the diciest part of making this movie, the scariest part, was the casting process, because... Um, uh, you can, you know, finance for a film can depend on casting and depend on a, on getting a, a star, right? Not all stars can act. And and in this particular film, now in some films that's fine, you can have a star and it, they'll carry you through the film on the f- strength of their charisma. And that's a really valuable thing to have. It can be a really important asset in a film. In this particular film, it wouldn't work. You have to have real actors. You have to have serious actors. Um, the reason is very long scenes, a lot of dialogue, huge weight on the shoulders of the actors. If one of those actors isn't performing, the whole movie would fall apart pretty much instantly. So uh, so the thing they had in common is they're all heavyweight, serious actors, mm. first and foremost. And the trick with this film was, uh, you know, it's got a particular kind of subject matter. It's got a particular kind of adult content at times. It's got a particular kind of aesthetic. And uh, to do that properly, you need a lot of creative freedom. That means you've got to make it cheaply and you've got to get serious actors. And th- that, that was how it was all set up, I guess. So how did you make it look so good on the cheap, comparatively? Because the effects are stunning. I mean, they're not in-your-face effects, but just of the design of Ava is... Yeah. Even up to the end of the film, it's quite breathtaking just looking at her, her form, her body. Well... One reason is having a very brilliant VFX team who are very committed, you know, to the project and go over and above, you know, the call of duty. That's that's essentially how that works. Um, uh, I mean, th- th- there's various answers to that question. I've been working in film a long time, sometimes working in a kind of producerial type capacity and having to think about budgets and stuff like that. I know if you shoot quickly and you've got a limited bunch of locations and a small cast that enables you to work cheaply and so um, it so so there there are various things like that going on I guess but the VFX the, the VFX actually was like the the situation with the actors if the VFX wasn't at a very very high level if it didn't stand up actually to the level of VFX you might see in a seriously expensive movie like Interstellar where they've got sort of almost limitless resources um, again it would fail it wouldn't work uh, the VFX company knew what they were getting involved with. They were, it was, the team was headed by a guy called Andrew Whitehurst. He's probably the smartest guy I've ever met. He's unbelievably committed. He's very inventive. He's a can-do guy. And he said, yep, I can see what we've got to do. We'll do it. And, and they, then they delivered. That's why, that's why I underplay all this director stuff, because... <laughs> Because I know exactly how important Andrew Whitehurst was and as one of the many legs, multi-leg table, you know, yeah. 16 legs or whatever the hell it's got. And, um, uh, yeah, crucial. 
Cool. Um, you mentioned coding at the beginning on your spectrum. Are you still interested in coding? Is it something oh, you've terrible. looked into? Terrible. I, I signed up for Code Academy at January 1st, and one of my things for this year was to learn how to code. So I've learned some basic HTML, some CSS, but did you do a lot of research into coding? Because obviously, I did Domo, like, told, you know, there's, there's a scene where he tries to um, intellectualize it and comprehend what's going on inside of Ava. Yeah. And Isaac's character tells him, like, I just want a regular conversation. Mm -hmm. Did you look into a lot of what this advanced coding is capable of today, or was that just a little bit of an embellishment to give it some kind of grounding in the film? Uh, well, uh, I'm terrible. I mean, forget me as a coder. Okay. Like, scratch that for, for openness. Um, but with that kind of stuff, I want to be accurate. Yeah. And sometimes there's like little in-jokes. There, there, there was one I got in there um, uh, in the script, but then uh, cut it out of the film, which is a sort of very early bit of code for a Hello World program, okay. which is like the most sort of basic kind of AI you mm. can think. I mean, there's not really an AI at all, but it, it gives the the fleeting impression of there being an AI because the computer says, hello world. So, you know, um, uh, so there are little gags and stuff like that, but really what I did, and I'm, uh, I haven't always done this in the past. So, so a film like Sunshine, for example, has a couple of uh, scientific sort of uh, conceits almost, or, or sort of nudges towards something, but basically it's bullshit. It doesn't really make yeah. sense in any kind of scientific sense. Not it's, high it's, SF. Uh, well, sure, whatever that is, yeah. I guess it's yeah. not. Yeah. Sorry. So, um, and in uh, uh, this is different. In in this, what I did was I I tested the script before we shot it. I sent it to various people. So, a guy called Murray Shanahan, he's the professor of cognitive robotics at Imperial. That's like our version of MIT. And I said, take a really hard look at this script. This is your world: robotics, AIs, consciousness. Check it out. Murray actually then wrote a bit of code which is on a screen in the film. So the code in the film is accurate and, and it stands up to the inspection of a very intelligent, cerebral guy like that. And so uh, the, I guess that's the process. It's not, it's not me, I'm checking mm, it with yeah. smart people and getting uh, the right answers, I hope. Uh, we know that you're a bit of a gamer. So I'm wondering, have you got time to game at the moment? And if so, what are you playing? Um, I, I always find I have time to game, <laughs> uh, e even when uh, I probably shouldn't. Yeah, no, I, uh, absolutely. Um, uh, the big, the, the games I've really got into this year, well, The Last of Us sort of re, what do you call it? The remastered. Remastered, yeah, PS4. Sort of, I think it might be the best game I've ever played, possibly, I think. Uh, like, I think that, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can say that, but. It's stunning. It's absolutely mm. stunning. So I played that through earlier this year. Um, uh, Gone Home, I think, is phenomenal. Uh, one of the best games I've ever played. That was I played that this year. Stanley Parables mm. played that this year. Also, just just like loved it. Um, uh, Dark Souls Two uh, played that through. Got about halfway through New Game Plus, and then thought, oh, no, I have to stop. And um, uh, partly because I started playing Destiny yeah. and. Um, that I haven't yet stopped. <laughs> You've got so. three characters on the go. Is that right? Oh, I've, oh, three characters on the go. Yep, I do. <laughs> of each class? Uh, yeah, one of each class, yeah. Um, uh, level 32 and two level 31s, and which is an indication of how many hours I've sunk into that game. I, I pre Previous to this, I had um, uh, like Xbox 360 and decided I was going to get a PS4 because I was desperate to play The Last of Us, which then... You felt um, you missed out on PS3, I had missed yeah, out. yeah. 
I knew I'd yeah, missed yeah. out. Mm. I didn't realize how much I'd missed out when mm. I played it. Absolutely just blew my mind that game. I mean, it blew my mind. But uh, what is it particularly about The Last of Us? Um, so probably several things. Uh, I think, well, th there are several things. I think it just works on every level. So, so there's, there's that. And I work in projects uh, which involve a lot of different things coming together. And when you see something else that achieves its goal as holistically as that, you, you can't help being impressed, really. Um, uh, I think it demonstrated how, how effective games can be as narratives. I think there were things in the past that have shown have shown this as well. I think the first Bioshock game has a brilliant narrative twist in it. Uh, mm. When you kill the guy yeah. with a golf club and yeah. you, you suddenly figure, oh, hang on, there's some whole meta yeah. thing going on here um, uh, where the game designer is kind of, you know, the player, blah, blah, blah. So, um, uh, so th I, that had been demonstrated, but it was never demonstrated in such an emotional way, I think. Um, I got incredibly involved in the character. I thought the writing was terrific, really smart, smart, smart writing, and really beautiful performances. Yeah. And then the graphics matched the incredible level of Music these other things. Well. Yeah. Everything, everything, yeah. li literally everything. There was a point uh, where you, you're, you're playing the, the girl. Yeah, in winter. Yeah, and you're chasing a deer, and I just thought, this is like now transcended everything I thought it possibly could do. It's just, it's an interesting game. It gets better as it goes on. Yeah, which is very unusual in a game. Uh, so anyway, phenomenal. So I pr like I mainly write about games on IGN, but right, sometimes yeah. I do movie stuff. And obviously, in the last year, I think it was announced that they're going to make a Last of Us movie. When you oh, hear yeah. stuff like that, what do, what do you think? Do you, like, I, I right. kind of feel like it's redundant because I don't think in a two-hour movie you can, you know, it's not going to translate that experience. But why? What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Having played the Last of Us recently, I, I feel g genuinely completely neutral about it. Um, uh, the only reason I say that is because you can make uh, good films out of bad books. You can make uh, bad films out of good books. The same will also be true of video games. It's really about the group of people executing it and how they do it and why they do it. Um, uh, if you get some really talented people, they may find something new to do there and it could be fantastic. So I can't prejudge it. Yeah, of course. I do, like, I've been wrong too many times, so why would I bother? And 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 like uh, I don't know, it could be good. What I do know is that when a when somebody makes a shit film of a good book, nobody holds it against the book, right? Yeah. The book survives. Yeah. In fact, in a funny kind of way, people are kind of defensive. They they almost protect it more, right? I think that's probably true with games as well. So I don't, I don't feel any need to protect The Last of Us. I think The Last of Us has staked a pretty yeah. spectacular flag in the ground and it's always going to have it. So I'm not, I don't feel concerned on its part. And, and I think your problem probably is the fact that we just haven't had a good one yet. A, an adaptation of a video yeah. game, a great movie. It just hasn't happened. And we've got high hopes for the World of Warcraft film. There's, you know, there's news this week about the Assassin's Creed movie, but it's just... I guess it just hasn't happened yet where there's been a, a classic movie based on a, on a video game, but who knows? I mean, you, you obviously were involved with Enslaved, uh, the video yeah, game. You wrote the yeah, story. Quite, yeah, I mean, no, I didn't write this. I mean, okay, just, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah, you came on board. I came on board quite right. late. There, there, there was um, uh, that, that company, Ninja Theory, that, that game, there's uh, Tamim, uh, uh, who exerts a very 
you know, correctly exerts a powerful creative influence. At the point I arrived, the characters existed, the plot existed, uh, m much of the level design and sort of flow existed. And so uh, what I was doing was working with Tamim on his story. I felt I was there uh, working, in a sense, for Tamim. Um, and uh, nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm... Uh, I, I was actually incredibly grateful that he gave me the chance to work in video games. I've, I've always loved video games. I, I, I grew up with them. Uh, my best friend, when we were growing up, got Pong. You know, the, like early seventies, he got the first thing, um, and I. So I've literally kept track with them as I've got older. Mm. Um, they they map my life pretty much exactly, and. Um, uh, so I was really grateful that Tamim gave me that shot and um, I don't want to take credit where, where I don't deserve it. Um, uh, it. It was largely Tamim and I was there to assist him. Fair, but you obviously, you obviously seem very uh, passionate about games, but yeah. you've gravitated towards making movies rather than video games. What, why is that? And are, are games something you'd be interested in? in? I, think, I, th I, think games, I think games have some real problems embedded within them, I have to say. I mean, one of the reasons I love The Last of Us is I think it... it and I think this is, this is true of other things as well. I think it's true of Bioshock. I think it's actually true of Grand Theft Auto as well, is that a certain kind of weight is given to the writing, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and as a writer, I, maybe I'm bound to say that. But I think writing is very, very important. Um, uh, if a thing is going to contain a narrative, even if uh, I, I, it, that is going to involve writing, even if the person doing it doesn't know they're writing, <laughs> it is writing. Mm. That's what that is. That is what that prescribed narrative uh, form is and so um, I think that I think there's a lot of crap you know and uh, there's a lot of lazy stuff there's a lot of very derivative stuff that's why I feel so grateful when I play a game like Gone Home because because it's not just another I don't know uh, I'm, I was just about to swear I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear it's, right. it, it's not just another uh, adolescent preoccupation male adolescent yeah. preoccupation game right mm. i i get that I, i've played a lot of those games i can really enjoy them i can also get really fucking bored of them just really bored and and to be given a game like gone home is electrifying and the thing about cinema is that what it managed to do for, for whatever reasons although this has got a bit worse in recent times but for a long time it's managed to have kind of triple a type titles big blockbusters and also a whole lot of other stuff a thriving indie scene right and some of those mainstream movies like taxi driver was a big film when it came out or the exorcist or alien they're really great bits of filmmaking too so i'd i I, I want there to be a, a healthier um, and more powerful indie scene. But actually, I can see that coming now. No Man's Sky. That's, that's mm. the next game I'm really, really looking forward to. Really excited to play that game. Um, I, I think, but sorry, I've, I've sort of gone off topic, I guess. I, I mean, basically what I'm saying is that it's not been a very friendly place for writers games it hasn't in fact a few years ago when i first started getting really interested in it there was a real kickback within the industry saying games are not a storytelling medium don't mm. try to make them into a storytelling medium they don't function as stories they're something else um there may be a kind of notional story in mario about saving a princess or whatever but there's no story it's a platformer sort of get out of here. this game is so, play it's about mastering mechanics yeah. yeah and and actually destiny although 
uh, I really love the game. I'm playing it a lot. Yeah, but uh, one of the big criticisms is so, that there's no story. Well, yeah, yeah. there isn't. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't know. It's very unwise of me to criticize anything, but the story and the writing as it exists, it's it's not as good as it should be, frankly. But 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 the game functions really almost supernaturally well in some other ways. Mm. You have stopped playing it, which is fair enough. That's your call. But I've got well, to tell you, man. I have to play everything. Yeah, no, fair course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and there's limited hours in yeah. the day and Destiny does, is it like a time, time hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No question. But those six-player co-op raids. I've heard they're the best thing in gaming this year, yeah. They are stunning. Yeah. They're absolutely stunning. Well, I, I got sidetracked. For, I, I, so I bought a PS4, so all of my friends list, gone, right? Yeah, but I didn't have anyone to play problem, with. yeah. It was really frustrating at first with Destiny. Slowly put together a friends list. There's now six of us. We're all at the same level. We're really into it. And uh, just a bunch of guys. And, you know, I've got to tell you, you pick it back up. Because, because all right, the, the, the narrative may not be as good as The Last of Us. I think that's sort of pretty much categorically true. But <laughs> um, as gameplay, it's phenomenal. Something that's been really successful in the last kind of year, 18 months, are the Telltale games. Have you played any of those, which nope. are kind of story-driven, kind of modern adventure games? Oh, yeah. So the text-based stuff, but they've done it, adapted The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah, no, sorry, what am I talking about? Yeah, by yeah, Gary yeah. Witter. No, no, yeah. yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I'm just not being savvy enough yeah, to understand. Yeah, with the names, publishers, and developers. Sure, yeah, 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 of course, yeah. They're, they're sensational. Yeah, really so story-driven in a yeah. different way. But it's interesting you say Dark Souls. Dark Souls is one of my favourite games of probably ever. And yeah, it definitely has, my top ten, it has yeah. a very interesting approach to narrative because I always feel like playing Dark Souls that you are kind of like an archaeologist piecing it together reading item descriptions looking at the world around you to kind of infer who these characters are what what happened to this location yeah uh, yeah I understand exactly what yeah, you mean yeah like it puts a lot of emphasis on the player to kind of piece it together and yeah. understand what your role in this world is and even then there's a lot of debate you know there's huge foreign boys debating the significance of a particular shield and I think that's fascinating because it really expects a lot from you as a player to be interested you can play Dark Souls don't care about any of that it's just loads of boss fights but there's yeah you know you can you can infer something from the fact that Smau has a certain type of armor for instance mm -hmm. and the description of the item that you retrieve you kill him second yeah i think that's a really interesting way to tell a different type of narrative in a game uh, uh, yeah agreed I, what, what i felt about dark souls and i really love that game i mean i really love it uh definitely in my all-time top 10 yeah. no question is um uh as an experience for me it was like dreaming it, it was this yeah, weird Japanese kind of yeah, non sequitur stuff things didn't make sense yeah. but they kind of did but it didn't matter I think the extent to which they didn't and and that level of interpretation I never put it on I never sought for yeah, it but there, it is yeah, a game yeah. asked for a lot because it's so so difficult I think you said there's kind of like a poetry to it and yeah. I think it's something to do about the, the world design because you can go you can design. go so far down in one direction and you realize, you don't realize you've been turned around. Yeah. There's a moment where I was in the Dark Root Basin and I got turned around and yeah. I thought, oh, there's a dark door here. Opened it, walked the way up and I was back where I started. Oh, I was like, go. I never knew that. <laughs> and the whole game exists. It's not cheated in any way. There's only one location that kind of teleports you if you go there. Um, everywhere else exists. The architecture is sound. Yeah. So that's like incredible design. And it's really beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. And, um, and, there was there's a boss battle in there that I had to do twice because uh, I got very OCD about something and thought I cannot now continue with this game. 
I have to start all over again because I've done something that incorrect, incorrect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, uh, so I, it was the hardest boss battle I've ever done. I'm going to get their names wrong, but something like Smorg and Ornstein. Ornstein, yeah, like yeah. Jesus Christ, I found that difficult. Yeah, I really it's notoriously it difficult. Yeah, and had to do it twice. That was one of the bleakest moments I've had <laughs> in gaming. Was when I realised I was going to have to do that again, but. It was easy the second time. That's a brave man to do that. <laughs> That's a feature, though. Bleakest moments in game. Yeah. Right it's so down. rewarding as well. well. I've got loads. <laughs> I've got loads. Accidentally erasing all of my Gran Turismo uh, progress <laughs> when I was a long way in. Uh, just uh, and and thinking, oh my god, it's gone, and I can never get it back. And it was that was bleak. That's pretty <laughs> cruel. It's a cruel world. That was another time. <laughs> so um, we're at the start of 2015. Uh, what games are you looking forward to this year? There, are there some that you're? No Man's Sky. That's the one I really want to play. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But what is it? Bloodborne. Bloodborne, which is this kind of spiritual successor to yeah. the original Dark Souls, right. directed by Demon a guy Souls called yeah, and Demon Souls yeah. guy called Miyazaki, who's directing that. It's kind of set in kind of quasi-Victorian gothic world kind of more Lovecraftian yep. than Dark Souls that's really interesting but No Man's Sky well, what intrigues you about that is it the procedurally generated stuff is that the I, fact that a game is that, that's almost a sci-fi concept in itself it's a game that makes itself yeah I, well, it, it's um, it's to do with the fact that it's like a fantasy game of when I was a teenager playing Manic Minor or Jet Set Willy on a Spectrum obviously very long before your time, I get that. <laughs> you can look it up, you can Google it. Not, you know. Sadly, not before my time. <laughs> right. so, so, so you'd be playing these games. Every now and then, there'd be some game that you would sort of hint uh, what a game could be. You, your imagination would sort of take you to what that sort of could be. And one of the kinds of things would be the idea of flying along a planet and then going straight up and flying outside yeah. the planet and going to another one, flying back down again. I think part of the reason people love those GTA games is, is just that sense that... the like what you were saying about Dark Souls, that it's a consistent world and you can yeah. go, you can make decisions where you mm. go within it. So there's something of a wish fulfillment. That's what it looks like. And I think it's, 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 um, it's sort of accentuated a little bit almost by the colour scheme they use. I think it's, yeah, you it's know. beautiful. Yeah. Because, so. you know, if you play a lot of the, you know, certain, you know, games went through a period where they were like, every game is brown or grey or beige. A lot of the games yeah. that came out, big blockbuster games. And that's yeah. like using the extended palette um, it's a really vibrant game, yeah. Yeah, so that. Really looking forward yeah. to that. I think that's got a lot of people. What should I be looking forward to? I think, well, Bloodborne is my fixation for this year. It comes out in March, PS4, but Dark Souls 2 is getting a remastered edition. So I think the original Dark Souls might come out on PS4 as well. I'm not sure I can play can go through back. those. I'm not sure <laughs> I can. There's, there's a limit. <laughs> there's a limit. I mean, I really love them, but I've sunk a lot of time. Of and they. They, they involve proper grinding. I mean. Yeah. Um, Evolve is a game I'm looking forward to in February. It's a 4v1 game. This is a big thing for tw 2015. It's kind of asymmetrical multiplayer. All right. So 4v1, there's four hunters and there's one monster, and you have to work together as a team to trap the monster. Um, it's just that. That is the game. It's going to be um, coming by out in February. Cool. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I'm not a gamer, but that one's got me excited. I yeah, won't have a go really at that one because it just looks like a, f a really fun experience that I haven't seen much. You know, I haven't seen anything quite like that. Yeah, and it's also you know growing up in the period I did, I'm a huge Zelda fan. And it's bringing out right. Zelda this year. There is, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I think talking about wish fulfillment, it kind of does that. It's the first kind of truly open world Zelda. 
It's not going to have this linear path where you have to tackle X amount of dungeons in a particular order to retrie- you know, retrieve equipment that lets you do the next dungeon. It's going to be an f- open world, mm-hmm. and you can tackle things in any order that you like. Right. So for Zelda, that's kind of moving on quite substantially. Um, so I'm kind of interested in that. Well, I'll definitely play that, yeah. no question. Have you got Wii U? Yes. Yeah, pick- oh. yeah I do. I've got, I've got everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have an Atari Jaguar. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's some pad. Tempest uh, 2000, I think. Jeff Minter game. Mm. So that's one of the best games ever. Yeah, that's, I was reading that's that in my you. top ten. Yeah. Is is being a writer and now writer director a good job to allow you to play video games during the day, or is it <laughs> is it a problem? <laughs> no, it's all very late at night. Um, uh, I what what actually happens is I'll go through uh, you know two three months where I don't pick up anything, and uh, and then I'll blitz. And I think because I've got Ex Machina coming out and uh, um, trying to set up another thing, I've got time at the moment. And and I sort of, you know, I, I miss games, so I, I binge on them. And, uh, well, you know, those, at the moment it's destiny. If, if, you want, if you want to get sort of wiped out, sucked in, yeah. sucked in yeah. that game will just hand it to you. It's like crack. I mean, it'll, it's ready waiting. You said um, Bioshock was one of your favourite games. Love Bioshock. Bioshock Love Infinite? Bioshock. Uh, would I pick? Have you played Infinite? I have. Yeah. yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that? I was. I, I think. Um, uh, I was just really into Bioshock. Yeah. That, that was my thoughts on that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and as we're looking ahead to the year a bit, are there any films that you're excited to see this year? Um. Uh, are there, there uh, yes there must be <laughs> I just I'm, my head's in game world uh, um, I want to see Chappie yeah I like I really like Neil Blomkamp stuff mm. I thought District 9 was one of the freshest films in a long time I'd seen um, uh, tell me what's coming up that would be cool uh, the one I'm interested in is High Rise. You know, oh yeah, I want to yeah. see that. Def, re, I'm a big fan of J.G. Ballard, which and it's based on a Ballard sure. novel. And ben Wheatley's one of the really interesting guys working at the moment. Yeah. And um, uh, fantastic cast. Yeah. Uh, really, really keen to see it. Yeah, I'm hoping that'll be something special. That one. Uh, what about Star Wars? What are your thoughts on Star Wars returning? Um, I don't know. Uh, I think that the teaser trailer was really impressive. That's what I thought. Mm. Um, uh, I thought the, you know, uh, same as everyone else. I thought that the three prequels were useless and kind of depressing and uh, so well-primed to turn everything around. And and I think these guys have a shot at doing it, you know, so... um, I hope that's what happens. And certainly when I saw the trailer, I thought, this feels right. That's feels what I thought. It had an authenticity to it. Like, and they're looking back to Ralph McQuarrie's yeah, artwork. Yeah, but no, but also but, it kind of fucked the authentic thing because people get too fussed about being reverential. Mm-hmm. And actually reverential is not really a good thing, usually, I, I think. Mm-hmm. It, it may get stuff right in those terms or it may not. I don't really care. What I, what I want it to do is work as a film that I really like and the imagery i saw just pulled me in mm. i guess it it did it of course it references stuff you know stormtroopers mm. and stuff like that desert planets and we 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 get the vibe of that immediately but but i think if if i'd never 
let's say Star Wars didn't exist and I saw that as a teaser, I'd, I'd be thinking, yeah. what's that? I, I, yeah. I'd want to see it. And that, that has to be a better test than whether it, it sort of pushes our sort of buttons in terms of our, our sort of, you know. But, but equally, I think when you say authenticity, it's just wanting it to look like it exists in the same I universe. Think that, I think Whereas th- those prequels those, look like cartoons. That, no, that I totally disagree. You know, I thought the prequels were authentic. Mm-hmm. They were just authentic to the bits of those Star Wars movies I didn't like, mm-hmm. right? So I, I thought... Uh, I, I, you know, this stuff is sacrilege, isn't it? Which I find really boring. I hate all that sacrilege <laughs> stuff. I, I thought Jar Jar Binks, right, was authentic to the Ewoks. No, I totally, right? I so, totally agree. And I, so, I would, yeah, yeah. The, the Ewoks were aimed at children. And I loved I, I, I was five years old when Jedi came out. The Ewoks were my favourite thing right. in the trilogy at the time. And mm. now I can't stand them. But right. Lucas knows, he knew how to push kids' buttons. Mm-hmm. And he did when I was a kid. And yeah, I felt the same way about Jar Jar Binks. But... I don't know. It's just they've just dated so badly that the, the CGI and it just. I think there's a, there's going to be a, a real kind of tactile feel to the the planets. I, I guess the, the the effects have improved over time since those prequels were made, and I just. Well, we'll find out. Yeah, we will. Um, it's 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 pretty cool though that you've got two of the big cast members from Star Wars in your movie. Wow. Yeah, it is because. Um, uh, maybe we'll get slightly more press as a result. Mm. <laughs> yeah, get, so agreed. Um, yeah, y- you know uh, that can look a bit like prescience rather than luck. Uh, it was it's luck more than prescience. Sure. And and also uh, there's another thing which is these guys it, that conversation we were having before. They're very very good actors, right? Mm. And and when when someone's a very good actor, it's obvious they're a good actor. It's not like one person spots it because they're smarter than everyone else. Everybody knows it. Um, yeah. and uh, you know see early Philip Seymour Hoffman and you know instantly whoever you are this guy's really really good and it's like that with these guys so um, in some respects I'm not surprised they're cast that that makes sense cool um, so what are you up to next have you got have you got much in the pipeline I was reading about a project called Annihilation Is there Annihilation a, Annihilation sorry oh. is there uh, anything you can say about that is that potentially the next film uh, it, it's um uh, yeah, there's a novel by a guy called Jeff Vandermeer. It's a really, really fantastic novel. Uh, and um, the producer I'd worked with, uh, one of the producers on Ex Machina, uh, Scott Rudin, owned the rights to Annihilation. He sent it to me and said, what do you think? And I read it and thought it was fantastic. And um, so I'm, I'm working on that at the moment. And uh, films at this stage, at this point, you could sort of try to quantify it and say it's a coin, coin flip, you know, like, may work out, may not. It's probably worse than a coin flip. It's probably more like 80-20 against is probably good odds at this time. But uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Is sci-fi a genre you want to you wanna stay in? Is that something you enjoy exploring? I do love sci-fi, yeah, yeah I do. Um, uh, but but uh, I, I like all sorts of stuff. And, and actually, I, I, I try to kind of mix it up in a funny kind of way. I mean, there'll be elements of other genres within whatever, you know... Uh, Dread functions like a sort of 70s drug-fueled thriller in some respects, you know. Um, and Ex Machina's got funny kind of horror beats and adult drama beats and stuff. So, I don't know. I love sci-fi, though, yeah. I'm happy to work on it again, if possible. Uh, we absolutely adored Dread. And even if audiences didn't go and see it in their, in their droves. But um, <laughs> it seems like yeah. a... A real kind of cult's built up around it and, and this petition that's been ongoing of people trying to get a sequel off the ground. Mm. How does that make you feel as, as the guy who's behind it? Oh, it makes me feel 
uh, it makes me feel sad, really. Um, uh, I feel I feel grateful to the people who've attempted to get a sequel off the ground, and uh, and sorry that um, actually what happened was it's uh, we let them down because because the reality is that a film a film needs to acquit itself, you know. Uh, it shouldn't need a petition, and and the truth is, if it gets to the point where it needs a petition, it's it's in big trouble anyway. You know, that's 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 the cold hard reality of it. So, um, I I feel like um, I feel like a sense of residual guilt, actually quite strong. It's not really that residual; it's quite strong. Uh, Dread was a very very hard movie to work on for all sorts of different reasons, and um, the reward would have been that at the end of it, it, it all worked out. Uh, but it didn't all work out. That's the reality of it. That said, I personally feel a lot of affection for the actual film. So, so some of the things around it might suck, but yeah. uh, the the film itself, I think, um, I think you know, that group of people, we we did something. That so that that's that's good. Um, I'd like to have rewarded. I'd I'd like to be able to sort of do the right thing by the people that dig the movie, but I can't. I just feel sad because I feel uh, from you saying that because I feel like you've made a really good film and you've just put it out there in the world like you shouldn't be feeling any guilt about that it's no you, uh, th- that would be to kind of uh, I think it, I, I no I can't see it that way that I feel that would be kind of disingenuous so what, what happens is uh, at some level on film people put faith and trust in, in a project there was a lot of people around Dread, right? Some of whom were not directly working on the film. Some of whom were working on the film kind of as a labor of love. There were uh, comic book artists and guys who, you know, uh, I, I wanted to do the right thing by John Wagner who uh, and Carlos Esquera and um, Mike McMahon, people who, um, or Mick McMahon, who, who, who came up with the... Um, and, and developed Pat Mills, the people who developed this thing. And, and to, to not do the right thing by them, it, it's... Um, it's it's uncool, but uh, it's what happened. There are other business models out there, like Kickstarter and things like that. Is there any chance that that there aren't really? Not not for that. No. Not for a thirty-five million dollar film. Because you, you, <laughs> for the, you, the ideas you had for the sequels were, were going to take more money, I think, than the first film, weren't they? To make no, no, you could do them. No, I think you could do them for you could do them same kind of budget. In fact, they were. You know, some part of me always uh, does think in terms of financing, I think, because that's what working film trains yeah. you to do. Uh, the, the, the basic idea was to, the first film we made it for um, uh, about $35 million, uh, although quite a lot of that was to do with shooting it in 3D, um, and, uh, or a, a chunk of it. Um, and we, we managed to make that film for that budget by locking it in a building. Uh, essentially um, sort of diehard style and um, in the second film it was going to go out into the desert um, uh, which would be the cursed earth of people who know the comic book they'd know immediately what that means and and maybe throw some money at some key sequences and um, which you know that that's that's how you do it I guess and I think we could have probably made it for another 30 35 type thing Mm. we could have made it for 30 if we shot it in 2d uh, 35 maybe 3d I guess um, of that order but uh, third one that would have been more expensive because that would be going back to the city and maybe bringing in some dark judges or something yeah. like that but um, 
anyway that it's, all, that, it's all fantasy isn't it dead in the water as far as you're concerned then uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned yeah it is yeah. Um, uh, my my hope is and I actually think this will happen is that uh, somebody else will do it and um, I mean, n not to be kind of all coy and sort of silly about it. I think our film was better than the first one, right? Okay, just yeah. to be blunt. Yeah. And uh, the job of the next people is to make their film better than ours, right? And if they do that, then finally maybe this character will get will break out in the way that it deserves to. Um, but you know, we'll see. What about um, games projects? You said earlier on in the podcast that a couple of years ago, maybe games weren't the most receptive place for writers. I think more than a couple, but yeah. yeah. Um, are you do it? Do you have any ideas that you would like to pitch to games publishers, or are you going to continue to work in film? Do you think? Um, uh, I, I, I don't. I don't really have any specific ideas, uh, and. I've made jumps in my working life in the past. I used to work as a cartoonist years ago, then I worked as a writer, novelist, and then I've worked in screenplays. And I know, not to be arrogant, there's always a hell of a lot to learn. And my, the little bit of interaction I've had with the games industry has taught me there's an enormous amount mm. to learn. So I wouldn't just say I could do it. Yeah. Um, I'd definitely be interested in doing it and the right kind of project. Uh, the truth is that what I tend to make is stuff that doesn't have huge mainstream appeal, right? That I have a couple of times, almost like buying a lottery ticket, it's worked out. 28 Days Later in the Beach are the two things I've worked on that worked in a kind of mainstream way. Um, but it doesn't usually happen. And so I think I'd be more suited to an indie end of the gaming world. And mm -hmm. that would be the end I'd be interested in trying. Not, not shaven-headed space marines, yeah. something else. <laughs> okay. Know. Yeah, and that's that becoming a more significant, important, growing part of the industry. Yeah, but listen, yeah, yeah. but the but I, game size. Yeah, but it's doing so well, isn't it? Mm. And uh, I mean, I mean, they uh, they they've started to really just flex their muscles. So it's not like they need people like middle-aged guys. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> in sort of I like games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, precisely. Yeah, so um, do we. Quite precisely, and and I, I'm really, really happy to be a recipient of them you know yeah. I'd like to work in them just because I think they're cool yeah. right? there's <laughs> nothing more about it than that um, I don't think I've got anything to bring to the party the uh, um, yeah happy just to play them uh, you mentioned the beach we've got a guy in the office Dan Kilby who used to appear on the uh, podcast quite regularly so listeners will know him. Uh, his favourite book is The Beach, and his favourite oh, well. his favourite film is The Beach as well. Oh, yeah. uh, so How does I, that work? <laughs> well, okay. we, we've gone over this. Beaches. We've gone over this on the podcast several times, so that's not a new topic of debate. Uh, but he wants to know: uh, having just had your having just made your directorial debut, how would you approach your own movie adaptation of The Beach? And are there different elements of the book that you would have focused on versus the actual movie? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it, it would be tonally different. I think it would be, it would be a bit darker, basically be a bit darker. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't write the screenplay of The Beach. I wrote the screenplay of 28 Days Later. I think reasonably you could compare 28 Days Later tonally with The Beach film and say, see where my impulses lie. Yeah. Right? So. Fair enough. Well, Dan will be chuffed. He's got a question asked anyway about The Beach. I'm uh, very glad he likes it. That's nice. So yeah. That's cool. Yeah, we, we, it's been discussed at length on this podcast. Oh, yeah. um, 28 Days Later did get a pretty good sequel as well. 
Um, any idea if there might be a third one in the pipeline for the, for that? <laughs> We've just started really talking about it seriously. Yeah, uh, it's it's a possibility. Um, uh, we've we've got an idea, and uh, Danny and Andrew and I have been um, having quite serious conversations about it. So it is a possibility. Mm. It's complicated. There, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it's complicated, uh, which are uh, boring, uh, and so I won't go into. Um, uh, but but it has, yeah, no, there, there's a real, there's a possibility here. Am I, am I right in saying you didn't write the second one? Uh, 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 no, I, yes, it was a bunch of people. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know I was peripherally involved in that film. Is it something that you'd write then, a potential third one, if you could get it off I the ground? I don't think so. No, I'd, it would be a similar role as on the second one. I'm the... Uh, what, what are you, uh, there's all these stupid titles in films, right? They don't really tell you anything. Yeah. Exec producer is a very useful one for that because you yeah. can kind of duck in and out of where you want to be. It would be something like being an exec producer. That's good catch-all sort of generic title. It would be something like that. And speaking of generic titles, would you have to call it 28 months later now? Are you, are you in that cycle? We've... <laughs> We uh, figured out, um, uh, I think it's, it's more likely to be 28 months than 28 years. Okay. <laughs> 28 li- years gives you one more place to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think 28 decades is probably taking a piss, but yeah. maybe, 28, <laughs> maybe 28 years. Fair enough. Uh, I also saw on your on your IMDb credits, Big Game. Is, is uh, that something you're involved with? Because I, I, I know about Very, it. very peripherally. Right. Very peripherally. Um, uh, um, a uh, friend of mine, uh, um, colleague, Will Clark, producer, uh, th- there was a particular moment in prep that I was able to help with something. And it's it's like I just said. Yeah. If you see exec producer, yeah, sure. it, it, it could mean anything, right? It could mean they push the tea trolley from one side of the room to the other, right? Yeah. So don't, don't read too much into it. Nice. Fair enough. Uh, Dan, have you got any more questions for Alex? No, that's... We talked about Dark Souls enough, I think. <laughs> uh, how does it feel though on the eve of the of the release of this movie? How are you feeling? Like confident, nervous, excited? Um, uh, not confident, definitely. Uh, not really nervous either. Um, uh, what I feel about this film is it's what I feel about it is it's the best thing I've ever worked on. I'd include books and films, anything, anything I've had any mm. hand in up till now. This is the thing I feel. Uh, most strongly about really and uh, feel on a sort of holistic level it works in the way that I hoped it would it's a completely subjective position that's just how I feel about it so look if people really like it that's fantastic because it will help me get something else off the ground but if people don't like it and it gets crap reviews and nobody goes to see it actually it's not really going to diminish what I feel about it I'm, I've got a particular particular feeling about this project it's different in some ways from anything else I've worked on Cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Alex. We uh, really appreciate it. Um, And everyone that's listening or watching, make sure you go and see Ex Machina, which comes out in the UK on January the 21st.